I want to talk about a very important subject this morning, the internal and external battles for the Latter-day Church. Just two verses I want to take this morning. They're both found in Acts chapter 6. The first one is verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Then we go down to verse 8 in Acts 6. It said, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, the firstly, when I got this verse into my heart and began to sit down and ask God to speak to me through it and give me something to say from Acts chapter 6, I noticed the choice that was made. And you know, when you're choosing someone to do a particular task, you look at their qualifications. But you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I said, well, why Stephen? Because there were others that had came forward, others that had been helping the apostles, others that had been working hard. And I would suggest others that maybe God was moving through. But the reason they chose Stephen, I believe he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And these weren't just idle words, because they could see it in Stephen, because he did great wonders and miracles among the people. And so the choice that was made was certainly he may have had qualifications, we don't know that, but they chose someone who was full of the Holy Ghost. You see, Pentecost had started. The infilling of the Holy Ghost had filled the church. It had had taken the world to a, a new realm. People were coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And so it was important for this to continue on. They could have chose many academics of the day. I mean, the pharisaical schools were many in Jerusalem, and many great men. Gamaliel, for one, a man respected amongst the apostles as well, as well as the Jews. And so they could have chose someone like that who knew the Scripture. But what they sought was someone who was full of the Holy Ghost. But their choice wasn't that popular with the enemies of the church because as you go on and read for yourself, the wonderful chapter, Acts 6, it says there arose in the synagogue, which is called the Libertines, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, them of Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Disputing with Stephen. And you see, this is why I believe they chose Stephen, because he was full of the Holy Ghost, and because he would face opposition. As he ministered in the Spirit, he faced opposition. You would think that having seen these miracles, having seen these wonders, having seen lives changed, these religious people would have been happy. They would have been thinking, well, we want some of that. But no, they didn't. They disputed with Stephen. The Libertines, this word occurs only once in the New Testament. It's from the Latin libertini, and it means freed men. Today, actually, Libertines means those who are free from all social constructs. In other words, nothing for them is immoral or nothing for them is wrong. They are free to live and do as they want, and they take this philosophy from these people. And you know, in our reading, there were probably Jews who haven't been taken prisoner by Pompey and other Roman generals in the Syrian wars. 
these libertines were those who had been reduced to slavery and then been released or liberated and returned to their own country, the country of their fathers. So they were, these libertines were people who had been taken slaves and who had been released. Do you know, rabbinic uh, tradition speaks of 480 synagogues in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was big, but that surprised me at first when you think so many synagogues. But then I grew up in the Newton Hards Road, and I lived in those that maybe remember Finmore Street, Sanders Street, Methuen Street. In that little enclave, there was four churches. And as you move further down the Newton Hards Road, you had the Salvation Army, the Gospel Hall. So you can understand a lot of churches uh, rose up back then, and I'm sure there were 480 or around 480 synagogues in Jerusalem. And of those who were opposed to Stephen, it is believed that they came from three separate synagogues, the Libertines, the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and then them of Sicily and, and Asia. Now, these people were in different synagogues because they didn't agree with each other. They had different points that they didn't agree on, different things that they didn't agree on. But even though they disagreed with each other, they teamed up to oppose Stephen. They teamed up to oppose Stephen. In normal times, they would have nothing to do with each other. Doctrinally, they would have nothing to do with each other. But here they teamed up against Stephen. And we can't unfortunately say, oh, that happened back then. It doesn't happen today. Do you know I went to a prayer meeting, not the one in Whitewell, the Bloodline Fellowship. But I'm not going to say where it is because we're not picking on anyone. But we went and met with other people, other ministers uh, and other people who worked in the building I went to. And the guy who organized it came to me one day and he said, you know, there's some ministers refusing to come because you're here, a Church of God minister. And I thought he was going to ask me to leave, but he didn't. He said, God forgive them, brother. I want you here every Tuesday morning it was. And so back then it was no different. They disagreed with each other, but here they came to oppose Stephen. They, on their own, could not resist the wisdom that uh, Stephen showed. And this wisdom uh, and the spirit by which he spoke was the Holy Ghost in him. Because we read in, in chapter, uh, in Acts 6, verse 8, that Stephen, full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So unable to resist him, we can see them bribing men to lie about what Stephen had said. You see, in Stephen, I see the move of the Holy Ghost. But you know something? In these false witnesses, I see the move of the father of lies. In John 8, verse 43 to 44, we see Jesus answering the Pharisees. And it says, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. But because there is no truth in him, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. The Pharisees, they couldn't even, because they, they, of their hatred for Jesus and because of the influence that they had allowed Satan to have on their lives, they couldn't hear the word of God. And these guys were no different as they opposed Stephen. And you know, in these last days, church, we have got to realize that the devil is busier than ever. Because the devil knows 
that he has finished. And what he's doing, he's seeking to destroy as many as he can. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant. We need to be careful. You know what it said, and if you read the history books, you'll find, and apparently the Spanish were uh, really uh, well known for it. When they had conquered a city or a town, this army, or armies, and then they were defeated and had to flee from the town, what they did was they destroyed the buildings. They killed the animals, destroyed the food crops, and callously murdered people so that they left no spoils for their enemies. And we know during the Second World War, the Germans did this. And indeed, if you read the history of South America, the Spanish, how they did this. And I remember watching a documentary about the Aztec people and the commentator or the person presenting the program spoke of how the, the, the many historical artifacts that the Spanish destroyed. And he was saying how sad it was that they did that. And so the devil knows that he's defeated and he's going to do everything he can to thwart the move of God. Church, the devil wants to destroy the church. The devil wants to destroy God's people and blind the unsaved that they may enter, that they will enter a lost eternity. And you know something, church? We need to look at reality today. There is only one way that the church can defeat the devil in these last days, and that's to be full of the Holy Ghost. If we think we can take the devil on ourselves, then we are delusional. We need the Holy Ghost. You know, many tried, and we read it in the New Testament as well, to cast out demons, and they said, Paul, we know. Peter, we know. But who are you? They had the name of Jesus over them. They were full of the Holy Ghost, and therefore they could stand against the devil. And the church needs it. The devil cannot stand against the wisdom of God. He can defeat my wisdom easily. The devil cannot stand against the power of God and he can very easily defeat my power. The devil cannot stand against the love of God. And those who are filled with the Holy Ghost, they have the power of God, they have the wisdom of God, and they have the love of God. But we need to realize today the devil is going to do all he can to oppose the move of God. The devil has people blinded today to believe they don't need the Holy Ghost. I'd been watching on social media a pastor in America. He's of Chinese origin. And I can't remember the name. I watched him several times, and I must admit he was very good uh, on different subjects and uh, speaking uh, from the Word of God and quoting from the Bible. But then he just lost me when he said that the Holy Ghost was only for the Jews back in uh, New Testament times. And it's sad when men of God stand in a pulpit and tell the church they don't need the Holy Ghost today. What are we saying? Are we telling God, you're okay, I'm wise enough. You, I, I, I'm powerful enough. I have enough love as a man. I don't need the Holy Ghost. And the devil, he means nothing to me. If that's our attitude, we need to seriously wake up and be shook by the power of God. And that's... <clears throat> Sorry, and next we can read how the Holy Ghost changed lives. 
and how the Holy Ghost convicted men of their sins. You know, we can say Paul was a great preacher, and he was, certainly. Peter was a great, they all were great preachers. But you know why people got saved? The convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Yes, their words were inspired by God, but there was a convicting power of the Holy Ghost. You can have the greatest pastor in the pulpit. You can have the greatest evangelist this world has ever seen. But unless the Holy Ghost convicts people, they're not going to turn from their sins. And that's why I believe we need the Holy Ghost. That's why I believe we need it. You know, today, the Holy Ghost convicts men of their sin. We have people standing in pulpits today saying to people, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and don't worry, he'll understand uh, that you're weak and he'll understand that you know, you're finding it difficult to give this, to give that up. You know something? They are robbing the people of their salvation because the word of God said to be saved, we need to repent. And repentance will come through the conviction of God in our lives. Men need to turn to God and we need the Holy Ghost to speak to them and to change their lives. Men today need warned. We know it's the latter days and that's why we're in these battles. And you know something, when I, re- I checked it and I seen someone else commenting on it recently and when God sent a prophet or when God sent a message to the church The message wasn't that you're all going to be rich. The message wasn't that you're all going to be prosperous. Do you know when God sent a message to his people through the prophets? It was a warning. And people today need to be warned that the coming of the Lord draws near. And they need to be be saved. Because if they don't, they will end up in a lost eternity. And this is what the New Testament church were doing. And this is what Stephen was doing. And this, can I say, is what the devil was opposing. This is what the devil was opposing. As I said, these men use lies. And we even see people today using lies. I follow the Society for the Protection of Unborn Children. And there's a bill going through, part, or through Stormont at the moment where they want to stop people protesting outside the abortion center. I think it's in College Street. And so the Society for the Protection of Unborn Children, they sent a letter, uh, a freedom of information request to the health trust. And they asked about incidents outside this uh, center. And they were given the information way back a year, every month listed, there wasn't one incident. Recently, because this has come before a committee, the Belfast Trust have produced a leaflet, and now apparently there's been 27 incidents. Because this is being heard now. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the tactics of the devil. They are lies from the start. This was what happened to Stephen. They couldn't confuse people. They couldn't say to people, this man's wrong, because what he was saying was wise. And what he was doing was followed up by signs and wonders. What they were doing wasn't followed up by signs and wonders. And so we'll look in a moment why they felt like that, but they couldn't oppose him. But you know what they did? They stirred up the people, and they got people to go in and to lie. Acts 6 verse 11. 
And they said, we have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. We go into 12 and 13, it says, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceaseth, ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. You see, these false accusations, they knew exactly what to say because this stirred up the people. And again, the, 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 the accusations got worse because we go into verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered to us. You know, this religious hypocrisy, this lying, this political correctness have always been and always will be the tools that the devil will use. And as they did this, as they accused Stephen, as they had him, as they, they thought under their power, with no defense, standing there on his own, something happened. There's something happened, and I don't know if you've noticed this before, but at this mock trial, something happened which they all noticed. Verse 15, it says, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, staring at him with hatred, staring at him with false accusations, they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. You see, they refused to acknowledge his wisdom, but they could not deny his appearance. Something special in the way Stephen looked that day caught their attention. May have temporarily silenced them. May have silenced some, but not others. And see, the implication of Stephen having the face of an angel is that he, like Moses and Jesus, was a witness to and a reflection of God's glory and God's presence. They seen something. Did they know? I believe what they saw was the anointing of God upon him. And the point is, whatever they saw, it grabbed their attention. And Stephen then testified and spoke the words that the Holy Ghost put in his mouth. And having seen this change in appearance, as it were, you would think that with their alleged love for God, and more importantly, their alleged love for truth, would have made them even question what was going on, but it didn't. Because the opposition got worse to the move of God. And instead of being convicted, they were furious, absolutely furious. Their pride had been challenged. And even though they saw the anointing of God on Stephen and the miracles that followed his ministry, they were jealous and they were angry. And so much anger, it tells us as we go into Acts chapter 7, that they niced on him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Stephen, the, the anointing was on him. The presence of God was with him in the midst of all this. Do you know something? Niceing at him with their teeth, they were biting him. Was their hatred so much 
that they were tearing bits of his skin off with their teeth. Animals. Animals. Tearing God's servants apart. You know, church, the devil hates the move of God. Hates the move of God. And the devil does not want the Latter-day Church to receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the glory of the Lord shines through them. Because the wisdom of God shines through them. And the world cannot oppose it. And more importantly, the love of God shines through them. The church doesn't, or the, the devil, sorry, doesn't want the church to pray. You know something? Prayer shakes the very foundations of hell. Especially when the church pray for revival. That brother I've been praying for years. I know I have. Remember sitting, just talking to Brother Gunning the other week with Pastor McCulloch and Sister Lottie Wright. Every Sunday morning we had meeting, prayer meetings before church praying for revival. And we're still praying for revival and we're still believing for revival today as we pray. But Satan will put all sorts of plans and ideas into our heads that we can accomplish these things without these gifts. Church, we are powerless without them. Again, Stephen showed in the, in the midst of this situation, knowing that he's facing death. I mean, how many of us would have been able to put up with that? Men. Actually, you know, I just can't get the picture out of my head. I wish I could. Tearing bits of skin off with their teeth. What sort of depth of hatred had entered their hearts? They attacked him again and stoned him. And it says in verse 60, and here's the power of God in someone's life. Stephen kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, listened to the love of God shining through him. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, he wasn't like James and John wanting the thunder to come down, the lightning to come down from heaven and strike them. He said, Lord, lay not this charge, this sin to their charge. You see, church, the world and the devil wants to silence, wants to stop the move of God. But if the church truly seeks the power of God in their ministry and in their lives, the devil and all of his power will be useless, will be powerless against it. Church, we need to pray for revival. You know, in our own wee land, it seems more and more every day, things that God said were wrong are becoming right and becoming moral. I spoke about this inquiry up at Stormont. There was an individual from the Green Party who brought this amendment forward. And if you look at this individual's website, they want to save the planet. They want the cars to be electric, all that. and that's good, and it's wonderful. And uh, They want to save animals, wildlife, and uh, different animals from extinction, and that's commendable. But in this, with the same breath and the, and the finish of the sentence, they want abortion more freely, openly. And for me, that just defies logic. It's okay to save a seal up in Canada, and it is. But it's not okay to save a woman who may be thinking about abortion. Do you know something? They need to speak 
to these girls and let them know what happens. Because I've spoke to and counseled one or two of these ladies. And one of them in particular told me, Alan, every time I see a woman, and this is 30 years ago, I'm sure, more, when she had her abortion. She said, every time I see a woman with her child, I cry. What did I do? You see, there was no one back then to help her or tell her. She was brought up in an age when it was a horrible, and it is still a sin, but it was a horrific sin back then for a young woman out of wedlock. Another nurse gave up nursing because she couldn't do it. And yet society today is promoting it. And that's just one thing. And I'm not picking in this politician. I pray for this individual that God will open their eyes because I believe Satan has blinded their eyes and they in their heart of hearts think they're doing right. They're not. But what will change them? The move of God in their lives. Church, we face many more battles and time doesn't allow us to go into them as the church. And the greatest enemy we have is the devil. He's not some myth. He's not some legend. He's not some pointy-tailed individual with a fork, prodding people. And he's not omnipresent. Only God alone is omnipresent. And I thank God that you and I will never encounter the devil. It was only the, the Billy Grahams and the Martin Luthers of this life will face the devil. But we will face the enemies of the church and the devil will use other people and other institutions to come against the church. And the reality is, if someone's not allowed to hand out gospel tracts or preach the gospel outside of, a, of an abortion clinic, where does that stop? In England, there are preachers being arrested because when they stand in the street and preach the gospel, someone gets offended and tells the police and the police arrest them. So pray for our land. Pray for organizations like the Christian Institute. You know something, you should register with them. You don't have to pay them. They'll, although it would be nice if you could, but they'll send you all the information and keep you updated on what's going on. And we thank God for them. But church lets us seek the move of God in our lives, in our church, and in our land. But what about the internal battles of the Latter-day Church? What are internal battles? Well, Paul speaks in Romans 7 of the internal battles that we face. I mean, we all know it so well. The things that I would do, I do not do. The things that I would not do, these things I do. And it's a war that worketh in me. And Stephen and the rest of the apostles faced the same battles in their lives. Well, and these were human beings, let's not forget. They had their troubles. They had their doubts. You know, stop setting them up as superhumans. They weren't. They were vassals whom God used. They were like you and they were like me. The difference is they were full of the Holy Ghost. They were mighty men of God, no doubt. But they weren't superhuman. They had their faults and their failings. And Paul spoke of his own battles. In Romans 7 verse 24, Paul speaking of himself, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And so what are these battles that we battle against? And you can buy many self-help books, and even in popular psychology, they'll talk about the things which come against us. But you know something? 
With a bit of prayer, the Lord brought me to Proverbs 6. And if I really want to know the battles that I face, then I'll face them, the ones that the, the Lord says I need to face. These six things that the Lord hate. People say God doesn't hate. Well, <laughs> there's things he hates. Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. There they are, church. You see, these are the things that God hates. You know, when you marry someone and there's something in your life that they don't like, you change. Because if you love them, you change. I know we can say you should love people as they are, but we change. For a marriage to work, it takes change on both sides. And Jane has changed me, yes. <laughs> but for me, for me to walk right before God, for me to get my life right before God, for me to say, okay, God, what is it in my life I should watch out for? People will say to you, yes, alcohol, drugs, yes, yes, I know, pornography, yes, I know, have nothing to do with it. But here's what God said he, he doesn't want in me. And as you claim, not as you claim, you are Christians, then surely we should be looking to see if I'm doing anything God hates. A proud look, that's pride. Am I so proud of myself? Has pride quenched my, the spirit within me? A lying tongue, oh, I don't tell lies. Do we not? Hands that shed innocent blood. I've never killed anyone. Do you know something? The tongue is a greater weapon than the sword. You can harm someone with your tongue more than you will with a sword. You can punch me. I've said this several times. You don't like when I'm preaching this morning and after service you want to come up and punch me. You might leave me with a bruise. But you know something? Two or three days that bruise will be gone. And when you're in hospital, I'll send you a card. But you know something? You can say something about me or pass on something about me that will stick on me the rest of my life. That's how powerful the tongue is. And that's how careful we should be. We're so apt to pass on gossip, aren't we? We're so apt. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Oh, I'm not wicked, brother. Have you ever planned something against something you didn't like? Feet that be swift and running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And come on, church, here's one we should all be aware of. He that soweth discord among the brethren. You see, when God hates something, the devil loves it. And hopefully, if you've heard nothing else this morning, you've picked that up. What God hates, the devil loves and the devil wants discord. The devil wants you to dislike me. The devil wants me to dislike you. And that's discord. 
The devil wants me to pass on we things I've heard about you. The devil wants me to tell everybody I disagree with you. The devil wants you to tell everybody you disagree with me. I'm just using me, by the way. I'm not on a pity party here. I don't want to use someone else. We need to be careful. They're there for us. When you go home tonight, look up Proverbs 6 and do what I did and pray about it. And let God speak to you. And let it be that measuring tape, that spirit level for your life. You see, church, the Lord is a God of love, yes. And he's a God that wants to bless his church. But he only wants to bless those that want to live for him. Don't pour good wine on a dirty vessel, folks. Those who totally rely on him. Like I've said, there are those who will tell you today, don't worry about it, you're human. You make mistakes and God understands that. Yes, he does. But you know something? There's a big word there. Repent. I have slipped and fell, but you know what? I have repented. And you know what? I've been forgiven. But whenever we feel we don't need to repent, that's the danger area. That's the danger area. We need to surrender our lives to the Lord. And surrender your life means living for him and not for yourself. And seeking the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Church, we want God to move. And people have great ideas, and I love their enthusiasm, and I want to encourage them and all in every way I can. But you know something? Let's get it right first. Let's get the Holy Ghost. Let's seek the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Because that's when things happen. Because it's the Holy Ghost that changes lives. It's the Holy Ghost that will heal the sick. It's not our elders. It's not me. It's the Holy Ghost moving through us. It's the Holy Ghost that will make the sinner repent, that will open their eyes, that will let them see that what they're doing is wrong. It's the Holy Ghost that will set captives free, that will break chains that bind, chains of addiction. I've counseled people with addiction. And no matter how hard I've tried, when you get the challenge, it's great when you make them feel good and you talk to them and you try and encourage them, but then you get to a stage in counseling where you have to start working and you challenge them, and that's when I lost them. They did not want to break the chains. But God revealing to them the harm they're doing in their lives, he will break the chains. He will break the chains. Do you know something? No demon has ever fled from me, but he's fled from the power of the Holy Ghost. They have fled from the power of the Holy Ghost. And as I said, addicts are set free. Do you know something? The Holy Ghost restores relationships. The Holy Ghost reunites families. And God and God alone moves through his spirit, which he pours upon his church. That's you. That's you. Church, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. And we need to pray for it. We need to seek it individually. And you know, we can think of different things and people have told me they're not into the tongues and everything. Look, 
Let God empower you. Let God speak through you. And you know something? You'll not be able to stop speaking in tongues when you get the full joy of the Holy Ghost in your life. Church, my prayer for this church. People have asked me, Pastor, what's your vision for this church? And I've said it many times, and I'll say it again this morning, for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the vision that God has given me for this church. Evangelism will come along with that. The lost will come along with that. Healing will come along with that. Delivered lives will come along with that. But the starting point is prayer and the move of God in my life and in your life. And I believe it's going to happen. The praise team are going to come back. I want to...